everyone. I'm Dr. Sajra Banerjee of Capstone People Consulting, and I'm delighted to present to you another episode of In the Lead. In the Lead, as you know, is a platform we've created for democratizing leadership knowledge. We present one extraordinary leader after another who presents stories about their own leadership, their own philosophies, their own epiphanies, their failure stories, and so much more that can inspire your leadership. Today's In the Lead is, is, is very, very special because it presents the very iconic, the very legendary KB Kamath. Remember to like, share, and subscribe this episode of In The Lead. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting KB Kamath on In The Lead. KB Kamath is a veteran of the Indian banking sector. He has been the chairman of ICICI Bank and Infosys and president of the new development bank set up by emerging developing countries Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. He is credited for having modernized the Indian banking sector through introduction of affordable technology and for the creation of the first Universal Bank. He has also been an independent director of Houston-based oil services company Schlumberger and Indian pharma company Yukon. KV Kamath joined the project finance division of ICICI as a management trainee in 1971. A quick learner, KB Kama demonstrated his entrepreneurial skills early in his career and his sheer talent caught the attention of the then chairman of ICICI, Narayanan Babur, who recalls, Within a few months of my joining, I had interacted with Kamat. He was at that time in the leasing department and I had more or less made up my mind that he would be my successor. Indeed, in 1996, ICICI welcomed its new managing director and CEO, KB Kama. KB Kama would soon take steps that would influence the future of this financial institution. So was evident in the September of 1999 when within three years of taking over as the Managing Director and CEO of ICICI, he drew up plans for converting the institution into a bank and also got ICICI listed on the New York Stock Exchange, NYSE, the first ever Indian financial institution to go the American Depository Receipts ADR route. In recognition of ICICI Bank's technological transformation under his leadership, the Asian Banker Journal of Singapore featured him as Asia's most e-savvy CEO. In 2001, he was named the Asian Business Leader of the Year by CNBC Asia. He has also been named Businessman of the Year by Forbes Asia, Business Leader of the Year by Economic Times, Business Standards Banker of the Year and CNBC TV18's Outstanding Business Leader. KB Kamath is the recipient of the coveted Padma Bhushan, one of the highest civilian honors in 2008. He has also been conferred an honorary PhD by the Banaras Hindu University. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the very accomplished, the veteran banker, KB Kamath. Welcome to this. It's a pleasure and an absolute honor to have you on In the Lead, Mr. KB Kamath. So welcome uh, to the show. Um, you know, we, we chatted some before we got started, uh, but, you know, I want us and our, our viewers today to really devour every moment of being able to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, lovely. I'm really interested to begin this conversation by asking you about your leadership philosophy. And I'm basically referring to the fact that you have not only led uh, teams, you've led boards, you've worked across countries. Uh, you know, this is five decades of a career that we're talking about here. This is very, very rich. So very interested to know about your leadership philosophy or leadership philosophies. Would like to start uh, with that today on In the Lead. Thank you. I think uh, 
a good place to start. Uh, and uh, in my case, uh, all the all the leadership roles that I have uh, you know, been in, I think there are three components to uh, these roles. I think uh, the first is uh, identify opportunity, uh, in the sense that uh, you know the philosophy follows. Uh, mm. uh, first, look at uh, scan what is there in the environment beyond boundary conditions. Uh, try to connect the dots and uh, try to create sense of what is available there first. The second is something very personal. That is, uh, when you understood that, try to understand your own uh, strengths and weaknesses. I would actually put it the other way around, weaknesses and strengths in the context of what you want to do or need to do with that opportunity. And I would think that this is the first level where a whole lot of leaders fail. That is, there is a lack of assessment of what your own strengths and weaknesses are. It could be personal, it could be organizational. And uh, I, I believe that both need to be understood very clearly by the leader. The third is then align. Uh, make good that, uh, make sure that uh, the weaknesses are adequately uh, taken care of by bringing in uh, talent or doing whatever is necessary. Mm. The third plank, and this is again consistent with all positions that I have held, is to align three what I would call capitals. The first is human capital, the second is financial capital, and the third is technology capital. This has started uh, as I uh, took on the range at uh, ICSI Limited in uh, 1996 and continues to this day. I think uh, these are, to me, uh, the vital mix of uh, things that you need to put in, uh, which then becomes your philosophy in terms of going ahead, and then you replicate the same thing uh, as you go along in every year. Uh, every endeavor that you have uh, you know, taken on or uh, tried to execute. Right. You know, what really struck me about what you just said right now was about assessing your strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, you're basically alluding to the need for self-awareness as a leader. Um, you know, be very interested to know what did you do uh, or how did you manage, uh, you know, senior people reporting into you who lack the ability to do this? Yeah, I think... Uh, that was uh, probably my first challenge in uh, 1996 in ICICI because uh, ICICI Limited was a 40-year-old uh, company. And uh, you certainly know what happens yes. with 40 companies. Uh, there were three uh, strong things about ICICI. Uh, for the last previous 10 years, starting 85, we had recruited talent from uh, the best schools. So the, I knew there was a pool of talent available. But exactly as you said, there were also people who were older who would have blocked positions where mm. you could have gotten uh, younger people to grow. Yeah. And uh, what I saw in uh, 1996, midway into the opening up of India, yes. was a lot of need to change, change this organization also. Because we were a project finance company, we were a development bank, and uh, facing almost the same sort of problems that our clients were facing consequent to the changes they were seeing in the environment. And their changes washed on us, and we, we got into problems. So we needed to change direction very rapidly. And right. it was very clear to me that uh, for that change, you needed uh, a different type of leadership around you and uh, various levels. When I looked at it, we had seasoned leaders, but probably with not the right mindset to pivot. And yeah. that was probably a very early stage pivot in the context of an Indian enterprise, uh, what I say, say the parent 
went through. Because it was then that we said that we are going to embrace, uh, you know, we saw the, the dot, the opportunity that I said, was going to be in retail. Because I had seen that during my exposure eight years in uh, Southeast Asia, around right. per capita of $500 or so, aspirations change. People want a home, people want a car, people want to have things to put in the homes, which means credit. And that yeah. wasn't really an organized credit industry. So opportunity right. in retail, but we have no skills. Then yeah. you move to uh, opportunities in uh, doing uh, new things with technology. The entire technology revolution is just happening. Moving yeah. away from the game. Not much exposure here and not much skill within organized. So you get the broad idea that you needed to yeah. have as in. So I had to take a very hard uh, path to get. And uh, that path was, uh, I decided that uh, we had about just 1,200 people. Compare yeah. that, uh, I say it's a group today, probably over 250,000 people. We yeah. had 1,200 people. And my assessment was that of those 1,200, I had to give a golden handshake to mm. at least about 250 people. Wow. I'll cut the long, long story short. I had to work with the board. The board you know, was not uh, really convinced initially, mm. but take them through. In the two um, you know, installments over two years, we yes. actually took hands with uh, about 250 to 300 of our uh, colleagues. And a lot of them who had started their career with me. So, mm. so what I'm trying to say is painful decisions that have been taken yeah. for uh, good of the organization. And yeah. uh, the good news is that uh, to me personally, is mm. some of those people who left are today my best friends. I can wow. talk to them anything. I have no qualms. And uh, we are uh, very easy with each other. But at that point of time, it was a hard decision. But mm. the important thing happened. You then had the ability to move in a whole stream of youngsters who were in the 30s. Yeah. I was at that point in time over 48 or uh, so. And uh, here you had a team of uh, youngsters in their uh, 30s uh, uh, come in to the yeah. level below the board. So I had only two of my colleagues who were. Uh, Senior with me on the board as executive The rest of the eight or nine people, next level were all, all youngsters. And indeed, they shouldered the responsibility yeah. of changing the organization. I will uh, give a, probably a very interesting anecdote here. What okay. in a way forced me to uh, make this change? Uh, in those days, um, Professor C.K. Prahlad used to run a program for about 30 Indian uh, industrial leaders, I would say. Okay. Uh, every every big uh, company of those days was in the two-day session. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was my first year that I attended this session. My predecessor, my mentor, Mr. Wagul, used to attend it. So I was there with him. And uh, one afternoon, brought uh, the ability to put the fear of uh, Almighty in you. That yeah. afternoon, he was in a professor of behavioral science called yeah. uh, Wayne Brock. Wayne yes. asked three, um, three questions. And to me, that is my probably biggest learning from any teacher. Teacher. Yes. There yes. Are business, there are other learnings. So Wayne said, uh, you know, imagine three, three questions that I'm going to ask you. A 10 point scale, 10 is the highest. Yeah. How well is your environment? This is 96 or 97. You know, mm. just crumbling by the day. Mm. He said, uh, so, so consensus view, everybody was looking around, but 
didn't take much time, 10, 10 on 10. It's so volatile. Second question was, what is the capacity or capability of your team? Yeah. 10 point, 10 highest, one. Yeah. A little bit of uh, looking around and so on and so forth. And they said uh, maybe uh, eight. They said uh, volatility 10, capability eight. Yeah. Wait, I have one more question. Yeah. Same time scale, 10 is highest, zero is lowest. Uh, what is the ability of the, your organization to change? Yes. Pivot, direction, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. There was a deep thought going on, and uh, you know, people were struggling to find an answer. Yeah. I was there probably just about a few months or so, and I could see the difficulty. I was having to change. Yes. Uh, changing mindsets, changing direction, so on. Yes. I, I said four. And yeah. uh, you know, my predecessor, Mr. Wagul, took my hand actually. Yeah. Very just, uh, I think we are slightly better. We may be six or seven. Okay. Very, very humbly, I said, uh, sir, that was the organization you ran. The organization mm. running is four. Mm. We had run the organization for 10 years when probably the change it need wasn't as much as it was when I got yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Consensus was six and a half or seven or six. Mm. Something like that. So Professor Brockham said, well, you guys are in trouble. Uh, mm. We're in a highly volatile market. You've got fairly competent people, and you're telling mm. me that you can pivot. Yeah. You gave me one more example, which I think could be very useful to uh, our uh, listeners yeah. and viewers. Yeah. So he said, uh, he said, uh, he said, what do you think of a company? If I were to tell you, on that ten scale of ten to change, is fifteen. Wow. <laughs> there was a complete silence, and uh, everyone struggling for maybe 15 seconds and then uh, you know, loud uh, noises coming. Yeah. How can that be? How can that be? How can you have 15 on a 10 point scale? And then somebody blurted out, that's anarchy. You know, uh, basically changes happen. Or, uh, so uh, Professor Brockbank laughed and said, uh, maybe you guys are on the right track. Why don't you push that idea? Anarchy. Yeah. So it, it went forward. And uh, he said, uh, imagine a company which uh, you know actually takes uh, feedback you know, not from top down, but from the yeah. street. The feedback goes into the lab. The lab works yeah. on it. And uh, when yeah. the part is ready, the lines are told, uh, you re regain your lines. And then the top is told that we are going to do the change. And you give the yeah. name of the company. And uh, the tragedy was that uh, this company, that was the absolute market leader, was the absolute okay. in, the, in 1996. 12 yes. years later, it a wall in the span of one year and went into oblivion. Uh, this company will name because uh, we all know the story uh, of this uh, company. This was Nokia. Yeah. They gave the example of Nokia in 1996 as yeah. where the feedback came from the street and then yeah. uh, people uh, could get to work. The R&D was absolutely live. Yeah. I won't tell you what might have happened later on, but uh, that is again a to, uh, that it hit uh, a challenge in uh, 2008, 2009 uh, right. is also clear. So, mm. if you don't, uh, not able to pivot, yes. they could pivot in 697, they could not pivot in, uh, now, we took one example, but we can take so many examples of companies which have not been able to pivot and uh, in the Indian context, all you have to do is take a look at the 1990 top 20 companies by market cap in India. Okay. And uh, try to look at not today, 
try to look at the year 2000 and see how many of them were there. The decade yeah. basically left all of them yeah. behind, most of them yeah. behind. They could not yeah. pay what. My yeah. view is that you don't pay what. That yeah. is going to be your fate for who you are, even going forward. Probably yes. at an even pace. And you know, it's uh, it's great you're talking about change and you're talking about pivoting because my next question is to do with that, which is, uh, you know, I I had watched, uh, you know, your interview with Sadhguru and, uh, you know, there's a question uh, that was asked uh, to both you and Sadhguru around transformational leadership. And, um, you know, you mentioned transformational leadership is about being able to have a vision about the future and then having the conviction and the discipline to be able to execute it. And I thought it was very, very well said, but I wanted to know more from you. Do you see examples of transformational leadership around you? I mean, we've perhaps gone through the disruptions of all disruptions in the last over two years. Do you see enough examples of transformational leadership? Uh, there, are, there are plenty. Uh, mm -hmm. Just to spend just 15 seconds, the uh, yes. story that about I say in the 90s, when I came yes. in as a leader, moving into uh, retail, to me mm -hmm. was transformational. And it had to be oh, made yeah. to happen. Because we didn't have the people, we didn't have the capital, so we had to yes. align. We did our first uh, New York Stock Exchange listing to get capital. Uh, the yes. people I mentioned, and then we had to put in a whole lot of new technology, which was not run by the IT department but by youngsters in their twenties to make it happen. I see that happening today. There are two distinct places where it is happening today. I think in all the digital startups, it is happening, yes. where uh, you are finding. Uh, Transformational leadership. They do, do they do things differently to yeah. incumbent. So that's yeah. happening. Unless incumbent pivots not. But yeah. not to say that uh, pivots are uh, incumbents are not done it. Take for example the second quarter after the lockdown of uh, 2020, yeah. when suddenly uh, you know, everybody was surprised when you saw that capacity to life has come back to 100 percent. Yeah. yeah. You were hearing that uh, people are just getting back to work. Maybe in some industries more, some industries less. Then something very interesting happened. I, I talked to, uh, actually I called a large automotive uh, component supplier from the south. And yes. I asked the company that I knew there, um, you know, tell me, uh, what is your output just now, production rate? Hmm. He said, oh, come, we are near 100. Hmm. He said, uh, what percentage of your staff is back on uh, the floor? Oh, Mr. Kamath, we had challenges, they're all gone. Now about 75% have come back. 75% yeah. are now producing 100%? He said, yes. So I said, how did that happen? Yeah. He said, oh, uh, very simple. Uh, we changed process, we innovated, we brought some technology. I said, yeah. in simple English, common man's English, you're telling yes. me that you got a productivity gain. Yeah. That yeah. differential that you have got, 75% of the people are now producing 100% of the output. Typical economists tell us that takes 10 years and takes enormous investment and so on. Yeah. So you know, in the course of an uh, epidemic, uh, yes. you know, when we shut down for most part, could achieve this. Yes. Then what I is, uh, we had a CII National Council meeting just 15 days later. So uh, I was talking to them about something and I said, I want to do a dipstick. Mm. I, I gave this, uh, I didn't give this example, I put it the other way around. Mm. You know, are you guys running now at uh, near about 100% show of hands? 95 to 100%. What proportion of your staff is back? Is it 65, 75, 80, 85? 75 to 80 in most industries, continuous process, 
So basically, I would think the entire corporate sector, uh, when a constraint was thrown in, the constraint of COVID, constraint of not being able to get in and do it, I think uh, elevated themselves to a, a different level in terms of what they could do. So yeah, to me, the bigger example is that these are all professional firms. You could have expected this of them, though in a normal situation, it would not have happened. You know, having been in business, I can tell you, it wouldn't yeah. happen. You needed a kind of a rare order. But yeah. to me, the mindset change that has taken place in the layperson is to me uh, a signal that there are deep uh, possibilities in your mind. And oh, yeah. most of the time, organizations and we personally don't explore it. Yeah. You would have seen in your own apartment complex how yeah. the people of the complex came together. And yeah. A lot of these older people came together oh, yeah. uh, to learn how to you know order using start with google sheet not an yeah. app in an app yeah and even payments became online to use that payment and basically became significantly more literate uh, in using oh, yeah. technology they were just three now my question to business is if they could become senior people you would have not expected them to adapt to technology at the age we're talking of Know, people beyond 65, people beyond 70. Yeah. Then I, why should young people not be able to pay what? Oh, yeah. Something is that is at the leadership level. Leaders yeah. have to have to uh, uh, you know learn to pay what. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think empowerment is such a significant part of that process, which is uh, you know going back to your point on having a fair assessment of your strengths and weaknesses. So if we are migrants to technology, if our generation are migrants of technology, um, you know, our opportunity to be able to empower the generation that knows and to be able to have the awareness that maybe there are some things that we can't lead and we've got to be able to allow other people to be able to lead it instead. So I think I mean, to your I, point of pivot, yeah. I think uh, empowerment is uh, the key. The moment yeah. you bring young people, you are empowering. There is no other yeah. way because you don't yeah. have anyone. And sometimes it is not even empowering. You move a young person to uh, completely out of his or her comfort zone. Because yeah. uh, you believe the person can do a job. Uh, yeah. Comfort zone in terms of even skills. A uh, person yeah. having no skills in another business. Uh, my yeah. experience is that uh, if the person abilities of mind, the person masters that subject in uh, no, uh, no time at all and then becomes a very good leader in that uh, context. There are, you know, repeated examples that I have faced uh, in uh, you know bringing up people where you have people across uh, complete streams and uh, just knowing that they have sheer competence and they learn on the job and uh, do oh, yeah. probably in this new job than they were doing in uh, what, uh, whatever they were doing earlier. Right, right. You know, I'm really interested to know about your own learning processes. So curious to know, uh, can you recall um, a coaching moment in your own career where somebody senior or somebody who's a client or a colleague or customer uh, you know said something that basically grabbed your attention something that you hold close to your heart even today uh, so i'm really uh, calling out uh, you know a, a moment where which was an aha moment for you when somebody said something that you till date hold close to heart as something that you deeply believe in. i think uh, yeah i had a very good uh leaders um, who one could learn from in ICSA. Like my first boss, Mr. Nakarni, uh, was one such leader. 
And uh, I remember uh, something that he told me, which I use today and I tell my team. He yes. says, if you don't understand a word, don't put that word into uh, uh, your appraisal or into uh, the project report that you're preparing. Yes. Because uh, that could uh, be uh, dire. So, uh, you know, I make sure that uh, I know what I write and I yes. expect a team to know, uh, to make sure that you use the word appropriately. There are so many instances where they told me this. And uh, I, I find that that's one of the biggest risks that you find of people around you. They use language, they use terminology, they use phrases. They use technical terms which they don't understand. And I think it doesn't do good to anybody. But I also learned uh, at that time, you know, who was the uh, managing director of ICC, Mr. Merta. So my very first appraisal, there was a lot of learning. I, there was a product uh, which, uh, you know, was uh, being going to be manufactured. It was called Synthetic Rouge. I still remember, this is exactly 50, 51 years ago. Synthetic wow. root. And uh, it was, uh, in common man's parlance, it's iron oxide. So okay. I had used the word synthetic root in uh, the appraisal. And uh, Mr. Mehta, uh, in every single page of the appraisal where this word appeared, he had underlined it and put a question mark inside. Mm. And um, so I went to him and we had to go to the boss to clear the appraisal. I could see that when he has flipped pages, every single word, uh, every single time I had the word uh, synthetic rouge was underlined. So he, I sat in front of him and he asked me, uh, uh, did you look at the chemical dictionary? Yeah. And, uh, is this word uh, used, synthetic rouge? Yeah. I had. And I said, yes, it is. And he says, uh, means, uh, I said, yes. You won't believe it. He had the humility to go to every page and cut out the underlining that he had done or the question mark that he had put across each word. It yeah. also taught me the humility of yeah. a person who asks you a question. Then yes. when you write your piece of paper, you be decent enough to spend one minute to uh, just sign it off. You could have given it to me and said, uh, well, you know, just disregard uh, the underlining that I've done with the question marks that I put. I think uh, there is humility also in this. Yes. There is a technical purpose in what you are uh, doing and uh, so on and so forth. Right. Apart from that, you know, the, the Wayne Brockbank example to me was probably my biggest uh, learning. Yeah. There is another thing that I've taken which uh, stood me in good uh, stead. This came uh, from a third party source entirely. Uh, I was in New York, uh, must, be a, must be one of our issues, um, yeah. either New York Stock Exchange or something. And uh, I think the consulting firm McKinsey called me and said, we have a technology seminar going on in New York one day, one day seminar. You want yeah. to attend. We were, you know, that time grappling to put new technologies. I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to spend a day there. I have a flight in the evening. So when I go in, I find all garage startups there, you know, all 25-year-old and 24-year-old. But I enjoyed it. I said, uh, let me learn from this. Yeah. I asked them, um, you know, how do you go about doing things? So one guy uh, look, we do everything in 90 days. Yeah. 90 days. So, so why is 90 days sacrosanct? Because yeah. 90 days is the number, but I know when I start something new, there are 200 people working on the same idea. Different parts of the US, different parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah. First guy has got a perfect product, alpha tested, beta tested, and taken to market, is going to make big money. He's going to succeed. Yeah. 
So 90 days is the number that I want. Within 90 days, if I do it, I think I have a chance. The next question is, do you build in 90 days? You, know, you tell an IT firm to code, they're going to tell you two years to code. And I had something being coded for ICICI Bank, ICICI Limited at that time. Two-year timeline. So yeah. no, 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 coding. You buy components and you assemble yeah. components. We have a team, young team, which will assemble components. All in 90 days. Then alpha tested, beta tested. I said, great. So I sat through the seminar, uh, small, small modules of uh, 45 minutes. I got on the flight. Next morning, I landed in London. Called, I say, say, no, no, no uh, I had to use a coin phone or a card phone or something. And I uh, told the team that was looking at uh, developing this new uh, product over two years and a few crore rupees. That your timeline is now shrunk to uh, 90 days. And, uh, and, you know, we are already six days into it. Tomorrow morning, we will set a new timeline. Yeah. Yeah, long story short, that engine is what we call the, the web trading engine of ICS, the stockbroking engine, the ICS yeah. director. Yeah, yeah. We launched it in 84 days. One wow. sixth that you would have taken up to write code. Just yeah. something to learn. So then yeah. I said, we in ICS are going to own the 90 day rule. Yeah. Anything that we do, we do in 90 days. Yeah. So our stock exchange listing, my merchant bankers told me it's two years. Because you need to get your accounts to uh, US GAAP standards and blah, 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 blah. I said 90 days. 73rd day, we made the listing. So you once you get uh, understanding that uh, you know what you believe is undoable can be yeah. done. Uh, yeah. And then find interest and then you put appropriate resources, lead them, yeah. empower, magic happens. So uh, right. that's big learning from that. Young kids of 25, 27 who were, uh, you know, building these uh, dot coms of uh, 2000. Uh, right. Date that you can do things in 90 days. I think this is just so fabulous because you're really talking about how, um, you know, organizations can actually build agility by being able to create basically norms for themselves, whether it's 90 days, whether it's, you know, 100 days, whatever is that norm, so that they are more conscious about time and speed and that it is uh, incredibly possible to be able to do it uh, you know within a short of, uh, span of time also the fact that you know there's value embedded in speed isn't it in loss of time so what i'm saying is you lose value right you're basically eroding value when you don't do things within a short period of time when it's okay to do the project over two years it's okay to do it over one year uh, or to not be conscious about how long we're taking to be able to do something i think yeah. basically there is Yes. There are two uh, things from what you say. One is uh, cost, but the yes. second is uh, it could be your future. Uh, yeah. you know, as those uh, young kids in uh, the 97, 98, whenever that I was in, in that seminar, uh, the technology seminar told that there are 200 people who are with the same idea. If I don't yeah. get to market, I'm dead. So yeah. uh, similarly, every time that we have looked at the 90-day rule was to yeah. make sure that, uh, you know our position. Uh, in the marketplace is different you could secure ourselves yeah. and now yeah. it is it became then it became a part of your own uh, uh, dna as it were yeah yeah just the the cadence of working which is basically uh the 90 days rule i think this is so invaluable i want to bring you to something which i know you're so incredibly known for and are good at which is mentoring other talent and i know that you got mentored by uh the previous uh, chairman of icici narayanan Babul. And you mentioned in one of your conversations earlier about how you got groomed to take over as chairman of ICICI Bank. 
and how when you did take over uh, he kind of created this elbow room and the space for you with so much of grace he literally moved out with so much of grace to give you the space to be able to do what you needed to do tell us some more about that because you know this is one space where i see um, not enough grace being shown especially when somebody's transitioning out and somebody's transitioning in um also so much reluctance around succession and the rest of that so tell us about this i think this is a very unique experience and you have mentioned it before i want you to share that with our viewers to me you know that is uh, probably the biggest learning that i had from uh, i say in terms of because in terms of leadership you know others were uh, examples i gave of mr mehta and mr narkan you yeah. play a path for my career i would say in terms of my mind very early in the career but uh, mr wagwal uh, that relationship and uh, the example that i will share i think in a way um, set me for uh, my leadership journey for the next uh, 25 years so uh, basically uh, i took over on may 1 i think we had a board meeting on may 6 he was the chairman not mm-hmm. executive then i took over as ceo may 1 and uh, he was there for the meeting and after the meeting he uh, basically told me that uh, he says uh, i am uh, leaving for the us tonight and i won't be back for four months so okay. uh, i don't think that you will need me for anything and uh, basically said uh, you are on your own uh, which i think uh, was the most uh, courageous decision and yeah. probably the best decision that a leader could take yeah. and i uh, around for four months so yeah. uh, two three uh, one is uh, he doesn't need to then get into his mind that he has to advise me which uh, uh, probably was not in his mind in any case that doesn't happen more importantly in uh, when you when you have a succession the uh, people around you who go and talk to the old leader and say you know yeah. think this is not yeah. happening this is not happening this changes you create a tension particularly in a situation where uh, the previous leader is still the chairman of the organization yeah, yeah. executive you are influencing his mind uh, mm. to uh, and creating a uh, a condition which is not conducive to harmonious uh, so he by four months everything had settled down i had uh, stamped my uh, uh, you know whatever my style uh, on the organization the young people had been brought in we are still not given the golden handshake he came back yeah. the next board meeting uh, i i broached uh, with him the subject of the golden handshake initially he was uh, again uh, reluctant not done this at all should we yeah. be doing it then we went to the board we discussed it with the board i think uh, he then uh, agreed and that is how the golden handshake started mm. other learning experience that came from him was uh, very interesting basically uh, he, uh, anything new that we were introducing everything was new every entry into uh, any new uh, retail business was completely new not only for the company but by and large for the country he fully backed you there was not an instant where we had a reputation that this was not being done this is not the way we should not be doing this this is really you would have believed he believed that you would have taken uh, adequate uh, care risk yeah. assessed and put it to the board and proper questions were asked by the board we could move it so again uh, i think endorsing the point that you made give space yeah. move away give yeah. space I think uh, both are important because both need not be uh, been the same make sure that uh, you do both right i think this is lovely because like i said you know there's just so much need for grace and i think him just disappearing for four months when you're actually taking charge 
uh, it's just a wonderful way to pass on the baton and to be able to allow your successor to succeed, basically, uh, which is just outstanding. Um, Mr. Kamath, you're seen as the, um, you know, basically you're a pioneer, you're seen as the architect of the banking and financial sector in India. I'm very interested to know how you see uh, the progress of uh, fintech uh, in our country. Um, and I'm particularly interested in what your view is around the fact that, you know, in a time where we're talking about change, agility, we've been talking about change and agility during this conversation. You know, do you, uh, do you believe or do you agree that um, fintech uh, and the basically the advent of fintech has come much later than it should have, that we've basically been uh, perhaps the banking and the financial sector has been late adopters of technology in comparison. So what is your view on this? There are several uh, aspects to this uh, question and thought that you raised. Uh, firstly, uh, what you have raised equally applies to the entire digital space. Mm. So let me headline comment there that uh, this mm. space, I think, is the future of this country. If mm. I look at China, the whole digital economy is around 30% or 35% of the overall economy. Mm. And uh, for us, uh, it's probably 5% or uh, less. So look at uh, the headroom uh, for growth that mm. uh, the whole space will provide. Mm. The entire fintech or otherwise. Uh, I believe that uh, this whole space has uh, come at the right time. It uh, mm. could not have come here because there are several uh, you know, pieces that need to fall in place for this to happen. Mm. The first piece is indeed uh, the evolution of technology. The larger technology which you are then using to build your own uh, fintech piece. Second is mm. affordability. The technology has to become virtually free. Then you can make mm. things uh, happen. I think this has uh, happened over the last three, four years. And uh, you know, you then had uh, youngsters to, uh, who had uh, the ability and the mindset to come out and uh, uh, you know, look at this as an opportunity and uh, put it in place. The process, uh, the Digitech process uh, probably started with early pioneers like Flipkart and others who saw opportunity and made things happen. And uh, you now have it spread across into uh, the fintech space. Fintech, if you look at uh, just that narrow core, uh, plenty of opportunity. The only country where it has been fully taken up and uh, probably four years ahead of us or three years ahead of us was China because of uh, early lead taken by not the banks, but by some of the new course uh, who, uh, who grew there from a variety of uh, sources. They, they were not necessarily fintechs, but they grew into uh, fintech and used technology very, uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that it was very useful to the end user. So in India, I think we were about three, four years behind, but just see the pace at which you have grown. Uh, UPI as a stack for uh, one, riding on the yeah. other uh, stack. And uh, riding on the Jandan, uh, you know, opening uh, online accounts for our people. So those three pieces had to fall in place. And once they fell in place and uh, right. technology became and pervasive, uh, then the third piece came. There's mm. one more piece there. It's not just the software part mm. of it. It is the connectedness. So uh, the mm. ability to uh, use data uh, in, uh, you know, sufficient measure, meaning Data is available, it is at speed, it is reliable, and at a cost, yeah. which is the lowest in the world. Yeah. All happened in the last two years. Yeah. As a consequence, we are yeah. the largest per capita data users in the world, uh, despite uh, nowhere in the 
GDP, GDP or per capita income rankings because the cost of data is so affordable. So all these has pushed uh, the fintech, the digitech and the fintech industry uh, dramatically ahead. Now, what are the challenges this way? Exactly as any challenge that a person who doesn't pivot is going to face. And where will the data come from? It's very simple and straightforward. I think in India, you know, already seen in the, the broking business. In the stock broking yes. business, you have a new course, new fintechs challenging, effectively challenging incumbent. You will then see it in insurance. As it get in, gets into more and more regulated areas, it is going to be tougher and tougher. And uh, I think it will take time and people will uh, need to work with each other and people will need to I'll just, uh, again, my early observations now, because uh, things are evolving, are that unless uh, the existing incumbents pivot, they are going to be under threat. And unless the new course, the new startups, the, the fintech companies are learn to understand the difference between value and valuation yeah. they are going to work. And unless uh, they learn the new calls learn the dangers yeah. of uh, what i would term uh, over aggression yeah. and uh, i would say uh, not understanding that in certain space particularly the fintech space yeah. you have the regulator that you have yeah. to work within the ambit of what the regulator laid down they you know, still work in a freewheeling manner. I yeah. think that's not to be uh, contribute to their uh, growth at all. In fact, yeah. you're already uh, certain missteps taken uh, in the last six or eight months. They will yeah. be very interesting to watch. What course corrections are fintech tape? And uh, I think the incumbents have got some lead time now. How will they manage? I think it's going to yeah. be a fascinating uh, uh, adjustment process over the next. Both right. trying to, old companies trying to pivot from where they are, yeah. and uh, the people starting to pivot from where they reach in a yeah. negative sense, come back to a positive uh, environment. It will be fascinating right. experience. We'll see. Right. So well said. You know, you have a treasure trove of stories and so much to be able to share. It's very difficult to let you go. But I have a last question for you, which is, through your very illustrious career, uh, you know, what is uh, a quote that has really inspired you when you were feel, feeling down or you were feeling, uh, I can't see you as someone who felt hopeless at any time, but if, if at all you ever did, uh, what really inspired you to get back onto your feet? Is there a failure story that you remember that you learned best from? Uh, very interested to be able to end this on a very inspiring note of something that inspires you. I think uh, I'm inspired by uh, you know, what uh, very wise people put out as uh, what I call as theory of constraints. Mm. Uh, in my uh, in my career, uh, it's always been a theory of constraint which has enabled me to uh, to leap uh, higher every single time. Uh, for example, uh, the transformation that took place in ICSA '97 onwards, the theory of constraint. We could not grow in uh, the line we were in. NPAs were enveloping us. We did not have capital. And uh, we then were forced to think and leap higher. So we said retail. We said go to New York, New York Stock Exchange because the domestic stock exchange is not giving us the equity. Go for technology because there is nothing else that uh, you can do uh, for, to drive the new uh, retail business. So there was a constraint. You leaped higher and then uh, you succeeded. I think at every stage, uh, you know, 
been repeated endlessly. The theory of constraint is something that uh, I have used as a, a good measure to succeed. And also, it uh, then gives a good reason to pivot. Yeah. And uh, reset uh, and carry your people uh, with you. Mm. But to do that, make sure that you have the right people. Mm. Make sure you do. You have that. There are a whole lot of processes. Yeah. Uh, I won't do that. Uh, you know, my learnings in uh, setting those processes. Make sure that you've got the right people. And then, you know, look at a constraint as a, a strategic opportunity. Leap yeah. higher. Risk. I think uh, you cannot uh, lose. Right. This has been just so inspiring. I think this has been an honor and a privilege to talk to you. Uh, Mr. K.V. Kamath, I have to tell you that I'm going to consider this my career high point experience speaking to you today. So thank you and thank you for the humility. Thank you for accepting to do this. Thank you for the generosity uh, to share with all our viewers and for the incredible stories that you shared today. I think all of it has just been every word to hang on to. I always ask viewers to be able to take notes as they're watching something like this. So thank you so much. This has been a masterclass in leadership. Thank you very, very much. Um, you know, I must say, again, what an honor, privilege, and pleasure to talk to you here today. Thank, Thank you. you so, so much, Mr. K.V. Kamal. Anything you want to I, say last? I'll, I'll only say this, that uh, I've always seen that in, an interview is only as good as the interviewer. So uh, what you asked and the way you asked, I think, uh, brought out uh, whatever uh, I would uh, say. So Thank you. And Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, the incredible, the iconic, the architect, the mentor, um, you know, uh, basically the very, very incredible KV Kamath. I'm so excited and so delighted that we get brought him on this platform and that we have the opportunity to share this with all of you here today. If you like this episode of In The Lead, uh, do uh, share, subscribe, and uh, make sure that you don't miss a single episode of In The Lead. Do like this episode if you really liked it. So I'm good with that. Thank you, Mr. KV Kamal. Thank you, everyone, for watching this show. Uh, see you again on another episode of In The Lead.